Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Michael Carnahan. I uh, want to welcome everybody into Clear and Convincing. Um, obviously, I'm not the first voice you guys hear when this show begins. Um, unfortunately, Blog Talk Radio is suffering some technical difficulties, which is uh, something that should not occur, especially not when there is something, especially when not there, you're paying uh, – quite a lot of money for this kind of service to bring you guys this kind of content. Uh, We here at Clear and Convincing and Talk Radio 49 do apologize for the issues we are having. Um, I'm going to talk for a little bit. Hopefully, Miss O'Brien can get into the show uh, right now uh, as we are sitting here. uh, Blog Talk Radio is currently experiencing an issue with the host line and guest call-in functions. I'm not even sure that my voice is going out live being broadcast. Uh, They said our engineers are actively working to resolve this issue. This is unacceptable, and we do apologize, Um, ladies and gentlemen. I know we uh, had some issues last night occur. Uh, Actually, uh, I had some issues I had to take care of while I was there. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just keep the only thing I can let you know is just Keep your eye on the Clear and Convincing Facebook page because we will. Oh, excuse me. Let's see here. Let's see here. We may actually. We may actually. Lisa O'Brien. Lisa O'Brien. Uh, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. I don't know if you're listening, but I can hear you. Okay. All right, well, we'll just, um, we're going to skip the intro tonight because okay. I don't want to risk okay. getting um, logged off uh, since we are having some technical difficulties. Uh, we are talking about the case of Shanna Goliar. She was convicted of first-degree murder and second-degree arson in Nebraska, and I'm just going to go ahead and get in the, in the, uh, into the show we may not have a call-in number tonight but if you can get in we'd love to have you join us um all right this case started when shanna goliar shanna elizabeth goliar uh who is called liz called liz by her friends met a man by the name of dave krupa Um, Both Dave and Shanna initially said, we just want a casual thing, no big deal, Um, you know, no attachments, no entanglements, just have fun and live our lives. Shortly after meeting Dave, however, Shanna changed her mind. 
she decided she wanted an exclusive relationship with Dave, which wasn't what Dave wanted. And he told her that's not what he wanted. Um, however, in September of 2012, he did agree to have a 30-day trial period of an exclusive relationship with Goyar. Uh, they even went on October 26th to a Halloween party dressed in togas. Uh, it was very cute. Then on, in October, Carrie came into the auto uh, repair shop where Dave worked. He met her. She was very intelligent. Uh, she was very witty. She was very fun-loving. She was a computer programmer, and he liked her. And later on, on Plenty of Fish, he realized that he and Carrie were both looking for, again, a casual relationship. Not a, we're going to move in together, get married, and have 20 kids. So uh, things weren't going very well with Goyar at that point. Dave and Carrie exchanged phone numbers. On Dave and Carrie's first date on October 29th, 2012, um, they go out to Applebee's, they're having dinner, and then Dave's phone starts blowing up. And guess who it is? It's Shanna. She's got some emergency, something she has got to pick up at his apartment. Right away, it cannot wait. So Dave and Carrie go back to his apartment. As soon as they walk in the door, the buzzer starts ringing, his phone starts blowing up again. It's Shanna. She's outside already. So something tells me Shanna was sitting in his apartment parking lot. Right. Are you still there, Michael? Well, yeah, as as I put in the description of the show, uh, the I think the, the county attorney of Pawatomie County, Iowa, described this case very aptly as catfish meets fatal attraction. <laughs> and you think it's bizarre so far wait it gets even crazier so uh, Dave initially tells Shanna you can't come in go away I'm on a date and Shanna's crying and making a scene so Dave goes inside leaves Shanna on the doorstep tells Carrie look sorry I got this ex-girlfriend and she's really upset, and Carrie just laughs at the drama and tells him she knows how to get in touch with him. And then she very quietly and calmly leaves. Um, Goliar will later Goliar. claim that as Carrie passed her, she called her a bitch, but I wouldn't believe Shanna Goliar if her tongue came notarized. Oh, one of those. She's kind of like... She's like Jody Arias to the third power. Okay. 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 You think Jody was crazy? Shanna outdoes her. <laughs> so, um, so they, Shanna comes in. She wants to get her stuff, but she also wants to talk. She's very upset. Dave's like, look, you got to go. Not doing this. Because this is probably why he doesn't want a relationship with this woman. Because she's a drama queen. And so she leaves. He calls Carrie. And then he drives to Macedonia, Iowa. Where Carrie is from. This is in Omaha, Nebraska. It's about 30 minutes, 35 minutes away. 
and he spends the night with Carrie in Macedonia. More likely than not, Shanna followed him to Macedonia that night. Now, another thing that didn't get a lot of mention is mm-hmm. that during this time period, Goliar is involved in a two-year relationship since 2010 that is supposed to be exclusive with a guy named Todd Butterball. She and her kids have lived with Todd. He's helped her out with her financial difficulties. I mean, you know, she's supposed to be in a serious relationship with Todd Butterball. I kind of wonder what Dave had. Because while he seems like a great, nice man in the interviews that I've seen, he ain't all that. Okay. Okay. Okay? So uh, I'm not even going to speculate there. So um, the relationship at the beginning of November, the relationship with uh, Dave ends the relationship with Goliar. Um, But right after he ends the relationship with her, he gets an email and she wants to know if it's permanent or if they're going to get back together. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. after that, the week, uh, November 6th and 7th, Goliar starts placing calls to Carrie's landline at her home in Macedonia. Um, on the 7th, a fake Facebook profile tries to friend Carrie. And that profile posts and says partying in Macedonia, but doesn't spell Macedonia correctly. Um, Carrie declines that friend request. And then there's a post that says returning to Macedonia. And coincidence of coincidences, Carrie's vehicle is vandalized while parked at her home. A second fake profile or no, that same fake profile, which is a female profile, tries to friend Carrie's 14-year-old son, but not being very bright, the uh, the Facebook profile doesn't belong to the 14-year-old son. It belongs to another person who has no connection to this case whatsoever. Um, on the 10th, Dave and Carrie become friends on Facebook which I'm sure is the triggering event that sent the catfish over the edge into fatal attraction. Um, the same day, Shanna sends Dave an email asking, them to go, asking him to go out with her for a drink as friends at some point, which, you know, is really the worst thing that he could do because this girl doesn't get it. Um, then on the 12th, yeah, she's back crap crazy. I mean, you know, there's a little nuts and level 10 back crap crazy. And she goes up to level 10 back crap crazy. Um, on the 12th, a second fake Facebook profile of a man tries to friend Carrie. Uh, The photo used on the profile is of a doctor on the East Coast, and the person claims to be from Macedonia, once again, not spelling the name of the hometown correctly. 
Uh, Carrie's response to that friend request is, do I know you? Now, during this time, Carrie had begun a project at work, which was going to require her to stay in Omaha and work late nights, long hours. She had her son staying with her mother, and she was staying with Dave Krupa in Omaha. Um, okay. So okay. she she worked until 8 or 9 o'clock and went to Dave Krupa's house. The next morning, she and Dave get up, and uh, Carrie called in at 6.15 for a conference call dealing with the project that they're working on. And electronically, it, it we know it's Carrie, or the electronically the police knew it was Carrie because there was a code that she had to enter to authenticate her identity. Um, at 6.20, between 6.20 and 6.25, Dave left for work. Carrie was up. She was working on her computer. Um, she had logged into Facebook around 9.30 and then logged out again. She was due at work by 9.30 a.m. She usually arrived anywhere between 8 and 9.30, and 9.30 a.m. comes and goes, and Carrie never shows up for work, and she doesn't call. And that is extremely unusual for her because she was always a very conscientious uh, employee. So at 10 a.m., her boss tries to call and doesn't get an answer. At 9.54 a.m., Carrie on Facebook unfriends Dave. Okay. At 10 o'clock, Dave gets a text from Carrie asking if he wants to move in together. When he says no, because that's not what their relationship is supposed to be about, he gets angry, expletive texts breaking up with him and saying she hates him, she never wants to see him again, She's ruined his life, and I, I, the impression that I got from reading and watching some of the specials about this case, I mean, it was like, I hate you. I'm breaking up with you. You ruined my life. I fucking hate you. You know, I'm going to get you. I'm going to ruin your life, too, and, you know, just on and on and on. Um, so at 10.02, there was a post on Facebook from Carrie that said the vandalism to her vehicle earlier – in the week was some kids. Uh, during that same time period, her mother received a text from Carrie saying she had a new job and was moving to Kansas. In the okay. text exchange okay. with her mom, Carrie never once mentions her 14-year-old son. And when her mother says, call me, I need to talk to you, Carrie refuses to call her. And, uh, in fact, there was no mention of Max, and when her mother asked what about Max, the son, Carrie didn't answer. The following day on the 14th, a fake pro- the fake profile that tried to friend Carrie's profile responds to Carrie's question saying that they went to Iowa, and West- Iowa Western together. And then there's a message from Carrie saying she remembered this person and accepting his friend request. So 
a fake profile created by Shannon Goliar tries to friend Carrie Farver. After Carrie Farver vanishes from the face of the earth, Shannon Goliar goes through with the whole friending the fake profile. In her little pea brain, I think she thought it would look like Carrie was still alive and out there. So, um, on the 15th, Carrie's employer received a text quitting her job for a job in Kansas and saying that she was going to send Shannon Goliar to fill her position. Now, Carrie is a computer programmer. Okay, she's not a line cook at a restaurant. She's not a cashier in a grocery store. She's not a secretary in a law firm. She's not a you know a cashier at a movie theater or or something that's you know one person can basically step in and replace another one. She's a a programmer, so I would expect. She had a degree. She wanted to be a nurse, fainted at the sight of blood in her first surgery that she was observing. So she had to go another route. She went with programming. And she was apparently a brilliant one. Um, So, uh, but again, we're not dealing with Carrie, who is very smart. We're dealing with Shanna, who, as we will see, not so much. So, at 6.05 that evening, Goliar submitted an application to Carrie's employer. And the employer received an, a re- referral email from an email account supposedly belonging to Carrie. Uh, on November 16th, Carrie's mother reported her missing, and there were two debit purchases debit card purchases from Carrie's account in two discount stores or box big box stores in Omaha. Uh, one of those was a shower curtain, which we'll hear more about later. Um, on the 17th, Carrie did not attend her half-brother's wedding in Des Moines, and that was very unusual because her son was standing in the wedding. With his uncle. Um, The other thing is that after the 16th, the two debit card purchases were apparently flagged by the bank. And after Uh the 16th Uh of November, the $10,000 in Carrie's account was never accessed. So... um, Also, at this time, the vehicle that was titled to Carrie's mom, but that Carrie used, was nowhere to be found. Uh, On November 17th, Carrie's mother received a picture of a $5,000 check from Shanna Goliar, and the memo was marked that it was for bedroom furniture. The text instructed Carrie's mom to let Goliar in to pick pick up the furniture. Carrie's mom, smart, smart, smart lady, and already knowing that all of this is 
entirely out of character for her daughter, said, no, I'm not letting her in. And she contacted the investigators who were handling the missing persons report and told them about this. This led to Goliar, and by now I'm going to give up the pretext, this was always Goliar, responding with several nasty messages calling Carrie's mother a bad mother and telling her mother to take care of Max and that she would never see Carrie again. Wow. Wow. So um, the mother reported the messages, the text messages that she was getting from Carrie, and a Deputy Wilson responded, made a copy of the check, pinged Carrie's phone, which showed that it was near an inter- the interstate in Omaha, which, on a drive through the neighborhood, turns out to be the same area where Shanna Goliar was living at the time. Um, then, on later, sometime after this, uh, Shanna's mother, uh, Carrie's mother, started receiving threatening text messages saying she was going to take Max to Kansas and she was never going to see Max again. Uh, On the 29th, all of that prompted Carrie's mom to go ahead and go to court and get a a legal guardianship of Max. Um, On the 20th, the Powhatami, because at this time it's a missing persons case, Carrie did have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and so unfortunately, even though her mother assured officers that these, this communication by text message was entirely out of character, uh, they had to look at all angles. And one of those angles is maybe bipolar. She's in a manic phase, and you know she's, she's out there doing what she's going to do. Um, but they did try to col- contact Goliar because Goliar gave her a $5,000 check. <laughs> Maybe Goliar knows where she might be, you know, where, where she might have gone to the ground. So, uh, right. of course, Goliar right. doesn't answer the phone. On the 21st, of course not. Of course not. Goliar does call back one of the detectives. She claimed, however, when she spoke to detectives, that Carrie was harassing her that Carrie had broken into her garage and stolen checks. And she was even helpful enough to forward text that she had, that Dave had received from Carrie that Dave supposedly forwarded to Goliar. Again, I think Goliar got Dave's phone, forwarded the text to herself to make it look like Dave was forwarding them to her. Uh, because all now, this stuff. Is there any support that got Dave's phone? Well, every time these her 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 when her you know garage when she tells him my garage is broken into, my house has been burglarized. Of course, he feels bad, and he's not a cold you know person. So he goes like as a friend, and she's saying we're friends, we're friends, it's okay. Um, okay. You know, I think she was like not holding, not holding him to what she wanted, and saying, "You don't want to give me what I want." Bye bye. 
Okay, I got She was it. trying to scheme and find a way to get what she wanted from him. And the vandalism and now being now she's being harassed by Carrie too gives them a shared experience that they can bond over. Um, right. In that text, there was an admission to the break-in and theft from Goliar. So basically, Goliar saying, I didn't give her a $5,000 check. She stole checks and wrote a check to herself. Um, and now, you know, now she's telling her mother that I'm coming to pick up furniture. Um, so then... Um, the text also said that Carrie was trying to get Goyar arrested. Right, right. Which is um, crazy, but okay. So then, of course, police next go to Dave and interview him to try to see if they can figure out what's going on. Um. And also because he's a suspect in Carrie's disappearance because she was at his house or his apartment. Um, At 11.51, LeMaster receives an angry text from Carrie telling him she's where she wants to be. It's none of his damn business. Leave Dave alone. And then a second text at 2.02 p.m., basically saying the same thing purportedly from Carrie um there i it it can't be proven but for some period of time Goliar had access control over Carrie's phone and was using Carrie's phone to contact access and and text people um, because of the accusations of vandalism and theft a warrant was issued for Carrie as in connection with those those crimes on the 23rd of November there was a burglary report at Goliar's residence at 808 oh, 16 p.m., uh, the garage had been spray-painted, whore from Dave. And, you know, this was, yeah, well, apparently, you know, the the Goliar, everybody called her a whore, apparently. (laughs) Well, I mean. (laughs) Because all of Carrie's text calling her, you know, all the the text purportedly from Carrie called her ugly, called her a whore, threatened her, you know, all these things. So, but again, spoiler alert, it was Goyar all along, all along. Um, now the interesting thing about this one is this is where it shows that Goyar really isn't smart enough to be a master criminal. She says the the vandalism to the garage happened between 2 p.m. on November 22nd when she left, or 2 p.m. on November 22nd, 9 a.m. on, 11, on November 23rd. It doesn't say she left. Was she home? 
How could she not know somebody was breaking into her garage and spray painting it if she was at home? If she wasn't at home, where was she? True. And then just for good measure, there comes a text supposedly from Carrie that says she's watching Goliar. Uh, On the 4th of December, Carrie's mom officially reports the truck missing. So now police are looking for the truck and they're looking for Carrie. Uh, On that same date, Goliar sends an email to Dave complaining about him dating other women. Because apparently he kind of reunites over the shared harassment experience and then drifts away because Shanna or Liz or whatever her freaking name is, is that crap crazy. Um, oh shit. And oh, then shit. of course, then there's an email today from Carrie claiming to be watching him and claiming that she knocked on his door and didn't answer. And all of these email accounts, were imposter accounts that were created after Carrie disappeared on the 13th of November. There was also an imposter YouTube account, which had a video of somebody in Dave Krupa's apartment complex outside videoing. Um, During the period in November to December, uh, there were also repeated episodes of vandalism at Dave's home and at his workplace. He received repeated threats to kill him, to kill his children, and to kill their mother, a woman by the name of Amy Flora. Um, he also received emails from, supposedly from Carrie, demanding that he stop seeing Goliar. And he received numerous emails that took responsibility for all the acts of vandalism, including incidents that had not been reported to police. So that told Dave, somebody who knows me, who has access to information directly from me, you know, is behind all this. Um, He unfortunately thought it was Carrie, but later on he realized it was um, Backrap Crazy Liz. So uh, then uh, in January on the 6th, Dave received a picture that appeared to be of Liz bound and gagged in the trunk of a vehicle. And that picture supposedly came from Carrie, ordering him to dump Liz and start seeing Carrie or else. You've got to be shitting me. No. But it turns out that when Dave tried to see what was going on with Liz, Liz was alive and well and not bound in a trunk. On January 8th, Carrie's SUV, as if by magic, shows up 
in the parking lot of Dave's apartment complex. Wow. Uh, nobody had seen the vehicle since November 13th. It had been reported stolen. And so in probably Omaha and Iowa, or in Nebraska and Iowa, uh, cops were looking for it just as they're still looking for Carrie. Um, and it just suddenly shows up in Dave's apartment parking lot. The uh, vehicle was impounded. The one thing the mom mentioned was that it was unusually clean. The seats were remarked to be cleaner than the floor. And there was an, a mint container in the cup holder that had fingerprints that did not belong to Carrie. But at that point, it was not known who they belonged to. And it was also unusually clean because I believe Carrie's fingerprints weren't found in areas where you would think you would find them if she drove the car every day. Right, right. Um, later on, we will find out that the fingerprint on the mint container belonged to Batcrap Crazy Liz. And also will be found on her phone a photograph of Carrie's truck taken on December 24th, 2012, during the time that it was still missing. You still there, Michael? Yes, ma'am. Just trying to adjust all the. Okay, because you're scaring me. You got it. You got to be more vocal tonight. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so in 2013, um, a lot happened and a lot didn't happen. Um, at one point, Dave caught Liz lurking outside his apartment. Now remember, he's thinking. Carrie's lurking outside his apartment at all times because he's getting texts saying, oh, I just saw you come out of the bathroom, or why'd you close the drapes, or who's in there with you because I can hear voices. Um, so he's kind of surprised when he comes home at around 11 o'clock one night, and he sees Goliar army crawling on her belly trying to get underneath a car to hide from him. And when he tries to ask her, what are you doing, she just pretends he's not there and ignores him. Normal, totally normal reaction. I mean, come on. Um, You know, like you don't see anything. I'm invisible. Like when a cat puts its front end under under a surface and thinks you can't see it even though his butt's wiggling on the outside. Um, later on, she texts him and says she was drunk. And that's like the universal explanation for anything stupid that you ever do. I was drunk. Um, on February 12, 2013, the words bitch and whore were keyed into the door of Goyar's car. On, um, sometime between March 25th and March 31st, Goliar's vehicle was damaged 
at her home, but somehow she doesn't know exactly when it happened. How she could not know that, I don't know. And on April 1st, she reports that vandalism of her vehicle to the police. Uh, Again, she tells the police that Dave received emails from Carrie admitting to damage. Likely because she sent those emails to Dave admitting to damage. On May 13, 2013, um, Liz reported the harassment to Omaha PD. During that time between November 2012 and May 2013, Goliath claimed to have received 74 threatening messages and 98 phone calls. Damn, 74? Damn, 74? Yes. And then in August of 2013, Dave and Goliath broke up again. Hopefully for good? Hopefully for good? No, because on August 17th, 2013, Goliath is moving from one one residence to another. She apparently takes her children and goes to a hotel. And after she leaves the house she'd been living in, it catches on fire. Okay, I would just okay, like to I say, right? Like to say so, right? I, um, I know this is like you had a mother. Wait, what? Talk You're fading about, out. Uh, the guy. The guy. What guy? Wait. I can't hear you or understand. I apologize. So, Dave, you said Dave and Goldyard are going to get back together, right? Correct. Dave is dumb. Dave is dumb. Well, you know what? Dave is not a cold-hearted bastard, and that's what Dave needed to be. True. True. Dave was not a cold-hearted bastard. Wow. And I can't fault him for that. I mean, you know, I've I've had guys that broke up with me that were cold-hearted motherfuckers, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> that if I called them and said, oh, my house caught on fire, one of my, you know, my dogs died, my cat died, my snake died, they would have been like, oh, too bad, so sad, sucks to be you, click. But, you know, that wasn't Dave. He wasn't a cold-hearted man. And um, so, yeah, the house caught on fire. Her two dogs, her cat, and her snake were killed. And this part of the story is what really, 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 really makes me hate her. Because if you're going to do this, yeah, you're going to get caught. But if if you're taking your kids to a hotel, take your animals. I agree. You know, say I didn't want to leave them in the house. They'd destroy the house while I was gone. Or I was afraid they would destroy the house while I was gone. Or I didn't know if I was ever coming back. You know, I mean, you don't leave animals there and set a freaking house on fire. So luckily she's, you know, like I said, she's not, she's not 
master criminal arch villain material because she ain't freaking smart enough to be. She apparently poured gasoline around the house and lit it, but she didn't use enough or didn't put it near the naturally combustible material in the house. And so there was fire and there was smoke, but the fire kind of sizzled out. Right. So, um, and of course, after this happens, there are emails from Carrie saying, I hope you and your kids burn to death. And whore painted on her front door. Uh, One of the first mistakes that Liz made, uh, aside from not knowing how to spell and not knowing anything about her victim, because one of the things that kind of didn't make sense to a lot of people that were getting these emails from Carrie. Carrie was one of those people, very intelligent. She texted in full sentences. She spelled words correctly. They, you know, her texts were grammatically correct. And when you look at some of the texts that Liz was sending as Carrie, it's like, does this bitch even speak English? You know, what did she quit fourth grade? So, um, one of the first mistakes that go that Liz made was that she told the fire department investigators that she was moving because she was being stalked and harassed by Carrie. However, in their investigation, they learned she was being evicted for not paying the utilities, which was a term of her lease. And all the emails that started coming in 2013 were from a second imposter account created for Carrie by Backrap Crazy Liz. Um, on uh, it's quiet between August and October, and then in October the 14th, somebody graffitied Day's work, and the graffiti at Day's work was not aimed at him. It was aimed at Backrap Crazy Liz. Then on the... Yeah, I I mean, you know, she's making herself appear to be a victim. And that's how she's keeping Dave sympathetic to her plight. Um, On November 2013, in November 2013... Uh, Dave apparently received an email with a picture of a knife mailed from Carrie's home and Carrie's driver's license. Once again, sent from an imposter account. I think she created a, an imposter account on Gmail for Carrie Farver, and then she created an imposter account named Carrie Krupa or Lee Krupa taking Dave's last name as though they're married. Now, again, when you think back to November 2012, what does she do? She breaks up with him. She tells him he ruined her life. She never wants to see him again, wants him to leave her alone, blah, 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 blah. But now she wants him to break up with Liz. She wants him to start seeing her again. And now she wants to be his wife. So, um, and this is because it's back crap crazy Liz. On 
December 12, 2013, Dave's home was burglarized. And the only things targeted in that burglary were Liz's belongings, which were there probably because they're back together again. Um, but again, police suspected that the burglary was staged just as they were suspecting that the fire was arson by Liz because there were leaves on the window well, but those leaves were not inside the apartment, which would happen if somebody used the window to access the apartment. Uh, Liz had a key to the apartment at the time, and a text sent supposedly by Carrie to Goliar was sent using texting app, which is something that Goliar, it was discovered, used later on in the investigation. Right. Um, and then right. it's quiet again through most of 2014. And then on November 26, 2015, around Thanksgiving, Goliar and Dave break up again because Goliar got a call from Amy Flora. Her youngest child, who was not his child, was ill and there was a blizzard or a snowstorm. And he had the audacity, because he's not a cold hearted bastard, to go help Amy Flora out and take the child to a hospital. I mean, the bastard, right? Right. Um, so they break up again, and then Dave was also seeing another woman at that time, and his new girlfriend starts receiving threatening texts, this time from Amy. And I think this is the period when police investigating all this uh, Powatami, I think at that time Powatami was still kind of leading the investigation. This is when uh, they start to think, you know, there's there's something really going on here, and it's got to be coming from Liz because now it's not Carrie, it's Amy. And if I read everything correctly. At this point, everything goes from Carrie to Amy. And Liz even starts right. saying, it was Amy all along. So uh, on, <laughs> on November 29th, 2015, Dave returned from visiting his children at Amy's and found that his uh, apartment had been broken into, and a silver 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol had been stolen out of a closet that only he, Amy, and Batcrab Crazy Liz knew about. Nothing else in the apartment was stolen. Mm -hmm. So then on December 4th, uh, 2015, Backcrap Crazy Liz goes to police and reports that Amy is harassing her. She tells police she believes that Amy was behind all the carry harassment and accuses Amy of stealing the gun from Dave's house and says how she's, you know, really worried for her safety. 
um, in spite of that, I believe she was living in Iowa by that time. She left Omaha. Um, she goes to a park in Iowa in Powhatan County at night on December 5th, 2015 to clear oh. her mind. Now, you think somebody's out there with a gun? You don't go to a park that's yeah. deserted. You go to like a mall or you go to the Texas Roadhouse and you get a table by yourself and you get you some food, maybe have a cocktail, watch stuff on TV, and then go to Barnes and Noble and wander around. That's what I do to clear my head. Um, yeah. But she goes to Big Lake Park in Council Bluff, Iowa. And uh, somebody shoots her in the leg. So she shoots herself in the leg. Got it. Yes. And a a weapon was never found. However, if you watch True Conviction, it's an ID show with uh, Anna Sega Nicolazzi, former uh, New York prosecutor. Excellent show. They show drone footage of this park. There are multiple ponds near where the shooting supposedly occurred and near the parking lot. So I bet that gun went into one of those ponds. And just nobody saw it to send somebody in the ponds. Of course, in December in Iowa, you probably couldn't have sent anybody into a pond looking for a gun because – it's freaking cold up there. So um, uh, Liz identified Amy to police as the shooter. But when Dave worried about her, came to the hospital, she didn't tell Dave that Amy shot her. Right. Um, police found no one else in the park when they responded. There were no other vehicles. Little crazy back crap crazy Liz was the only person there. They even had a helicopter go up, and the helicopter didn't even find anybody in the vicinity. Um, And it was within a few minutes of the shooting being reported. Um, And when the SWAT team went to Amy's house and knocked down her front door, she had a solid alibi corroborated by her neighbors and the fact that the hood of her vehicle was stone cold. She'd been at home with her kids since 3.30 that afternoon. Um, Because of the still missing gun and because of Backcrap Crazy Liz's inconsistent accounts of the shooting, uh, police were concerned about Dave's safety and about Amy's safety. So they put a GPS on Liz's vehicle. And the data that they found from that GPS was that Liz spent a lot of time circling around Amy's apartment complex. So um, this is the point when the Powhatan, because the Helpfully, thankfully for Liz, or thankfully Liz, she may have been living in Council Bluffs at the time, but she may have been living in Omaha 
but she was helpful enough to go to Council Bluff to get herself shot in the leg. Right. So that the same agency looking into Carrie's disappearance is the agency that has jurisdiction over her shooting. And that's another thing that tells me she ain't that bright. Right. Because if it had happened in Omaha, which at that point in time I don't believe was involved, they were involved in the fire, but they weren't involved in Carrie's disappearance at that point, to my knowledge, it might have gone unnoticed. Well, the Powhatami investigators are superstars. And unfortunately, my my desktop computer has died. I don't – the only name I know is uh, LeMaster and Wilson who were involved early on. I believe two other – Deputies got involved, and I can't, I don't know their names, and I apologize to them. But the super rock star of this case is a gentleman by the name of Anthony Cava. He's a special deputy, he was in the sheriff's department, IT department, uh, IT department, and he is the person who basically took the electronic trail going back from 2012 and put it together to provide a mountain of digital evidence tying Shanna Elizabeth Goliar to the murder uh-huh. of Carrie Farver in spite of the fact that Carrie's body was never recovered. Oh. So, uh, but this is where it kind of begins. They had gotten access to Dave and Amy's phones and email. And they got, with the shooting, they were able to get access to Goliar's phones. They were also able to get access to monitor her permission to monitor her email. And one of the things the police did, they brought her in. They're like, we really want to solve this. And we got, you know, we want to figure out what's going on, what happened to Carrie. And they tell her that a body has been found. They're just waiting to confirm whether or not it belongs to Carrie. Mm -hmm. And of course, Goliath's like, I'm sure Amy was behind this all along. This had to be Amy. So. They're like, you know, we know, we know, but we just don't, we don't have anything. We need something, you know, and she's harassing you and stalking you and it's horrible. We're so sorry for you. But, you know, if you get anything that only the murderer would know from Amy, make sure we get that because that'll really, really help us. And so four days later. What is what is, what does that crazy Liz get? Emails from Amy confessing to Carrie Farber's murder. Wow, convenient. With convenient. with details that they are able to corroborate. Of course, again, rock star investigators, but also 
I think in this particular, as it go, as it pertains to the truck, there was probably some divine intervention because after the truck was processed and only the fingerprints on the mint tin were found, the truck was returned to Carrie's mom and sold. And then the person who bought it apparently sold it again. So the detectives were able to track down the truck with the new owner and get a search warrant, bring it back in or get the owner's permission to bring it back in to search it again. A second search initially didn't, they didn't find anything corroborating anything in the emails. But then someone decided on the third search, let's take the seat covers off and see, see what we find. And in the passenger seat, they found, found significant blood stains. Right. And the DNA belonged to Carrie. Now, um, after those, you know, confession emails, I got a little ahead of myself, sorry. Uh, on the 21st, um, Liz gives police permission to monitor her email account. And then there's a second confession email with additional information and details. On February 1st, Dave and Amy had apparently rekindled their relationship or Dave wanted his children to be safe. And so he and Amy were going to join forces to protect their kids from somebody stalking them and shooting people and, you know, making people disappear off the face of the earth. So uh, they moved in together and Liz calls police. And again, you got to watch Snapped, you got to watch Scorned on uh, Dateline, or you got to watch uh, True Conviction, because there is a there is a a tape of the call from Liz, and initially she's crying about how, you know, Amy shot her, and Amy's still out there, not a, they're not arresting her, and what's wrong with you people? But then she says something. She says she gets to move into date in with Dave, and what happens to me? So, you okay. know, she's not she's not quite as upset about Amy not being arrested as she is about Amy essentially being rewarded by getting to move in with Dave. I really got to know. I want to meet Dave Krupa. I think I might have to cyberstalk him and find him, and I just want to have a conversation with this guy because I got to know what he's got <laughs> that triggered such right. insanity. Right. I mean, literally, that's why this dude might be special. Yeah, really. Um, Also, of course, after her phone call with police, hopefully there's another confession email sent from yet another imposter account. And um, then on the 2nd of February, police get a helpful email, yet another, from another imposter account that claims to have been in Carrie's house and describes said house and furnishings and things of that nature, which through photographs taken of Carrie's house prior to it being dismantled because Carrie had vanished from the face of the earth, um, they were able to, again, corroborate information in the email, in the email 
as to what Carrie's house looked like. Um, on the 3rd of February, uh, another imposter email was sent from Amy that admits to assuming Carrie's electronic identity and taking responsibility for the harassment going back to 2012. Right. Um, the 4th of 2016, yet another email confessing to Carrie's murder. On the 5th, another email of, quote, Amy confessing to all the harassment of Dave and, and, uh, and Liz. And then on the 6th of February, an email from, quote, Amy uh, places Carrie's death before Thanksgiving 2012. Mm-hmm. On the 10th of February, um, you know, I, I think Liz must have been going even crazier because she's sending all these all these confession emails, and, you know, it's just not enough. The cops aren't doing anything. So, okay, I'll just keep giving them more information. So on the 10th, an email comes in talking about a yin-yang tattoo on Carrie's thigh. And they confirm that Carrie had a yin-yang tattoo and kanji, which I believe is Japanese writing, on her thigh. Because she and her first husband got those matching tattoos when they first got married. Uh, On the 13th, they get another imposter email uh, giving details of the murder that Carrie begged for her life. And begged to be allowed to talk to her family. And basically the killer said, I didn't give a shit. I just let the bitch die. Uh, On the 24th, a new imposter account is created. And yet another email is sent confessing to disposing of Carrie's body in a dumpster after attempting to burn it. Because Liz, not very good at burning shit up. She just don't know how to do it. She says she threw gas on her head set her on fire, and then it wasn't working, so she put her out and wrapped her in a tarp, cut her up, and threw her in dumpster. Um, and she also confesses to throwing Carrie's phone away and, once again, describes the inside of Carrie's home. Uh, on the 18th of February is when they're able to find Carrie's car or Carrie's truck, and that's when the seat covers are removed and they they get the DNA results that tie the stain on the passenger seat, which is where Carrie was stabbed to death, according to the confessions, um, corroborates that confession. On the 25th, they are able to get a search warrant for Goliard's residence, and they search it. They find Carrie's video camera and a digital camera, a camera battery, and a 32 gigabytes SD card, all of which were in Carrie's house. Uh, They also find a shower curtain matching the description of the shower curtain purchased with Carrie's debit card back on November 16, 2012. And on Liz's phone... 
because she took a lot of pictures too because she's that, you know, selfie generation. Um, there's a picture of the bathroom curtain in 2012 right after she bought it hanging in her bathroom with the creases still in it. Uh, at the time, they also find um, on her phone, they find a lot of the harassing texts and emails because when you delete them, they're not necessarily gone. And this is where, you know, Tony Kava, rock star, comes in because he's un- untangling that digital web that uh, Goliar has been basically for three, almost three and a half years, has been weaving. Um, however, none of that was enough without Carrie's body or without some confirmation that Carrie was dead uh, for police to be able to arrest Goliar. Are you still there? Yes, ma'am. I sure am. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You're just so enthralled by this story. However, the case broke. Hey, this woman is just... Like, it's crazy how much she got away with, too, because really, it wasn't the smartest thing that she was doing. Like, that no, it really, it really wasn't. But, you know, unfortunately, um, you can't lock people up just because they're stupid. True. <laughs> if you did, the jails, especially in, you know, some parts of the South, would be full. And the streets would be practically empty. So, in February of 2017, almost a year later, police really want to, they want to tie this up. They want to get justice for Carrie. They want to get justice for her family. Because you got to remember, her son was 14 when she vanished. Um, And she was a single mother, and she was very present in her son's life as much as she could be. She tried not to miss any event in his life. She went to band concerts. She went to sports games where he played. Um, I don't I don't remember what sport, and because he was a minor, I don't want to go delve too much into his identity because right. I, I don't I don't want to intrude on him um but she missed his high school graduation and that's something she would not have missed you know it it was just not that was not her um so the police went to Dave Krupa and he remembers a tablet that he hasn't used but he had it when Goliar was living with him or staying with him or they were together or whatever. And it was something she had access to. And he turned it over to police. And this was the Eureka moment because the tablet was not password protected. So Goliar 
had access to it and could have used it. There were a lot of photographs of Goyar on the on the tablet. Also in the tablet was an SD card. And when Tony Kava looked at that SD card, it had been in Goyar's phone. Huh. Not Dave's phone. Goliar's phone. And on that SD card, they found a picture. Because Liz liked to take pictures. Um, they found a picture of the yin-yang t- tattoo with kanji writing. That was on Carrie's thigh. They also found a photo of a decomposing foot with a tattoo of Chinese characters on it that were supposed to mean mother, but I think some of these tattoo artists are are playing with people that they're tattooing with these Chinese characters. If you've ever watched Big Bang, because Penny Uh thought her tattoo said courage and it said soup. Um, but it's right. you know it's a tattoo. It was on the top of Carrie's foot, um, and there's a picture of her when she was alive that very prominently shows the tattoo on her foot. And the other the other feature of the foot and the tattoo that was found on the SD card was that a medical examiner testified that the foot was a decomposing human left foot. Which means that Carrie was no longer alive and which was was proof that they needed that Carrie was no longer alive. So um on December 22nd, 2016, they were able and I may have written the wrong year down here or maybe I wrote the wrong year on getting the SD card. That may be in 2016, not 2017. Apologize, folks. Um on December 22nd, 2016, Shannon Elizabeth Goliar was charged with first degree murder and second degree arson. And a warrant was issued for her arrest. She was arrested on Christmas Eve. And I know she had kids. But I'm not even one bit sorry for her or her kids. And hopefully they're in a better place with better people. On December 27th, she made her first appearance. Her bond was set at $5 million. And there was a preliminary hearing set for January 18th. 2017. Now, there's an odd note that she was bond, held over for custody in lieu of bond, but then there's something about a release and a rearrest on January 18th, where her bond was set once again at $5 million. So I don't know what that meant, and I didn't really, I don't think that she got out. Because if if she got out, the bond could not have been $5 million. Because <laughs> she would have had to put down 10%, which is what? 500000 
No, and you know what? Never in any of these things, never in any of the court opinions, never in any of the um, news magazine type shows or documentary type shows, whatever you want to call them, nothing ever says anything about what Shanna did for a living. Aside from being back crazy. crazy. And given given all the effort that she put into the various imposter accounts and the emails and the acts of vandalism, I suspect that she was kind of like Jodi Arias. She didn't have a steady job. She had a job when she absolutely had to. And I think she did live off of Todd Butterball. Uh, but their relationship ended. She never mentioned any of the stalking or harassment to him at any time during their relationship, but their relationship ended in like 2015. So um, at the preliminary hearing, uh, she was bound over for trial and her bond was maintained at $5 million. On January 26th, uh, she was arraigned and she pled not guilty, and then the gamble of waiving a jury first comes into play. Um, there was a, a, a conference with the court on the record at which the court explained, you're waiving a jury, you're entitled to a jury, um, you can, uh, you know, these are the, these are the, pros of a jury, these are the cons of a jury, Did is this your decision, did anybody threaten you, did anybody coerce you, is anybody making you waive your jury, and Goyar answered all the questions on the record, and it was her idea to waive a jury. Now, it was probably at that point, perhaps, a good idea because arguing there's not enough evidence works better on a judge than it would on 12 people who look at Max Carrie's son and Carrie's mother on the stand during a trial but it isn't a sure thing right because right. sometimes you're actually you're better off if you can bring some emotion in with a jury of 12 people which if we have a chance next week let's talk about Geiger okay because I do have okay. thoughts on that but I don't want to risk getting cut off um, okay, that's okay. so that's she she decided to waive her right to a jury trial it was her decision on the advice of her attorney, granted, but it was her decision. And that fact was confirmed by the judge on the record. On the 13th of March, 2017, the, uh, the uh, prosecutor was going to amend the information to charge Shanna Elizabeth Goliar with arson for the fire at the home, which killed two dogs, a cat, and a snake. 
So and a preliminary so hearing. Pardon? No. Um, I, no. They. I don't know what the laws in Iowa are. Um, it was not. I mean, you know, setting fire to the house and not taking the pets is shitty as hell. But it's not really direct abuse. It's kind of indirect. Right, right. It's not, you know, she didn't stab the pets and then try and set fire to the house and try and say Carrie broke in, stabbed the animals, and then set fire to the house. The, the, the animals died as a result of the fire. I think they all died of smoke inhalation. But again, they were they were going with second degree arson. A prelim was set on that for four for April twenty sixth. Oh, I know what happened is that they were they arrested her in December twenty sixteen and then they're getting ready for trial and that's when they went to Dave Krupa in February of twenty seventeen. And found the pictures. That's how that happened. So I apologize for apologizing. I was right. Um, and so on, on April 7th, there was a hearing on the state motion to endorse witnesses, uh, which was granted without opposition from uh, Liz's counsel. On May 3rd, again, Liz appeared before the judge and on the record, waived her right to a jury trial on the arson charge. Okay. okay. And for the second time, the judge went through pros and cons. And in fact, during that time, she could have completely changed her mind and said, no, I want a jury. I want a jury on all charges. And uh-huh. she would have gotten a jury uh-huh. trial. So... In May 3rd, she still wanted to waive the jury. No doubt, you know, no doubt about it. She still wanted to waive a jury. Um, so, so is, May so 10th. Is she getting two separate shots? Pardon? Is she getting two separate shots? One, one for the arson? Awesome? Awesome? No, they're the, because the, uh, I'll get into that a little bit later in the direct appeal, but Quick answer, the charges are related because they were all part of the disappearance of Carrie and covering up Carrie's disappearance and trying to blame Carrie and trying to use that as a means of keeping Dave Krupa in her life. So it's all intertwined and related, and so they they can charge it and try it in one uh, proceeding because it stems all stems from the disappearance and murder of Terry Farver. Uh, the okay. bench trial was okay. held the 10th, uh, May 10th, 2017 to May 23rd, 2017. And of course the evidence that the, uh, the prosecution had was, you know, they had all the electronic evidence. They had tied her to every imposter account, every imposter, social media, um, they knew when imposter accounts 
sent what emails. Uh, they tied her to the creation through IP addresses. Uh, some of the some of the activity was sent from Todd Butterball's IP address at the time she was living there. Other activity was at the house in Omaha that she tried to burn down because she was being evicted and then thought, oh, and I'll blame it on Carrie. Um, so they had a lot. And, and like I said, Tony Cava was one of the rock stars. Uh, all the investigators were rock stars, even even though they initially thought Bipolar, she could be on a manic episode. They still, I think by the time of the fire, they knew something wasn't right. And detectives even went to Carrie's mother and said, we know she didn't leave on her own. Right. We know you were right. right. This is not, because Carrie's mother kept saying she would not text me with this stuff. She was supposedly had a, you know, a high, high, high-paying job in Kansas. She would not text me about that. She would call me and tell me. There's no way she would tell me that in a text message. So, um, so the the state presented their evidence. Uh, the her attorney challenged it. Her attorney attorney argued they really didn't have proof that Carrie was dead because he did challenge as much as he could the evidence. But, you know, all of it led back to that crap crazy Liz. And it showed the lengths that she was willing to go through over three and a half years to stalk and harass someone, kill them, and then assume their identity electronically and make their friends and family and police think that they're crazy. Right. To make a 14-year-old kid think that his mom just took off and left him to go to a new life in Kansas. Um, To make Dave Krupa think that now, you know, it was fatal attraction. And he better not get his kids any bunny rabbits because they're going to get boiled. Um, So the judge, after the bench trial, the judge found uh, Liz guilty on both counts, first-degree murder and uh, second-degree arson. Uh, He ordered a PSI, which is a pre-sentencing report, basically, and set sentencing for... August 15, 2017. On July 24, 2017, um, Liz fired her attorney, and her request or his 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 request withdrawal was granted, uh, and the public defender was appointed to represent Liz from that point on because she was indigent. Um, she was sentenced on the 15th of August to. Life on count one and 18 to 20 years on the arson count two, which would be consecutive to count one. So life, whatever you serve in Iowa, she'd have to serve that. And then she could start serving her 18, 20 years before she'd be eligible. And according to the Nebraska Corrections, she has a release 
a, a projected release date in like 2050 something. I don't know if I printed out that. Uh, I don't know if I printed out that that page uh, for my research the other day, and my computer's dead. So uh, I'll update next week with exactly what her projected release date is. Um, Her direct appeal went to the Nebraska Supreme Court, um, and I have a long list of evidence against her. Uh, Basically, her issues on appeal were that there was insufficient evidence that she committed first-degree murder. Uh, There was insufficient evidence, basically, that the murder was premeditated and deliberate. However, the you know basically the the disguising and hiding of of Carrie's disappearance by making it seem like she was stalking Liz sort of makes it look like or does make it look like this was deliberate. She went to yeah, Dave Krupa's because yeah, the last time anybody saw yeah. Carrie, Carrie was in Dave Krupa's house. Right. She went to Dave Krupa's right. house. She gained control of Carrie. Control of Carrie's phone, control of Carrie's vehicle, took Carrie somewhere, stabbed her to death in the passenger seat of her car, <clears throat> and then secreted the body and the car for almost two months, or the car for almost two months. So the, um, uh, the sufficiency of the evidence claim didn't work. The court held that Carrie hadn't been seen since November 13th when she abruptly ended her contacts with her son, parents, employer, and boyfriend. Her money was not accessed other than two flag transactions on November 16th, one of which was linked to Goyar. Blood found in Farver's vehicle and the fact that Goyar paused his Farver online and on social media to conceal Farber's disappearance also were facts that led to the that led to the reasonable inference that this was deliberate. This was not in the heat of passion. This was not a mistake. It was not an accident. It was Liz went there. She was going to have Dave. Nobody was going to have him, and she was going to get rid of the competition. Um, right. And finally, the photographs right. of the body parts on Goliar's, you know, SD card that had been in her phone pretty much put the nail in, in her coffin. Um, they also found that he, that uh, Liz was obsessed with Krupa and saw Carrie as a rival, which gave her a motive to kill Carrie. Uh, prior to Carrie's disappearance, she made calls to Carrie's landline, vandalized her vehicle, and that those acts suggested a premeditated plan, premeditated plan to harm Carrie. Finally, the most significant evidence that they found were the confession emails written by Liz in an attempt to flank, to frame Amy Flora. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The emails, content of the emails, contain considerable evidence that Liz purposely and with deliberate and premeditated malice killed Carrie Farber. 
Right. Makes sense. Right. Makes and sense. most of those statements were corroborated. Um, they also found, as far as the arson went, that the evidence clearly established that the fire was deliberately set. The investigators found multiple points of origin and evidence of accelerants. Uh, Goliar had access to the property and had a motive to commit the arson. Uh, first, as part of the vandalism purportedly committed by Kerry, which was ultimately linked to Goliar via uncontested digital evidence. Also, the vandalism occurred when Krupa became less interested in the relationship with Goliar, and Goliar used that to capitalize on a mutual fear and draw Krupa back. And um, the Goliar and Krupa had broken up right before the fire, got back together after, and then Goliar, posing as Flora, later confessed to committing the arson in two emails. Um, Goliar made several claims about ineffective assistance to counsel. Uh, we already talked about the waiver of the jury, which, you know, two times the judge went through quite an extensive, I, I will bet you it takes probably about 30 to 50 pages in the transcript because it's multiple questions that the judge asked and, and only, only Goliar answered them. Her attorney did not speak for her. She spoke directly to the court. Right. And it was her decision, right. her, you know, her understanding that she understood, that she knew what the pitfalls were, that she knew what the potential benefits were, and that it was her free and knowing and voluntary decision. So um, that ineffective assistance claim was shot down in very few words. Um, they also found that her attorney was not ineffective for failing to try and sever the murder and arson charges. Uh, again, as I explained, the arson would have been a missile at the trial on the murder charge because it was all part of the same scheme. And so prejudice can't be shown where evidence of one charge would be admissible on, at a separate trial on the other charge, and that's what we have with the murder and arson. Um, she also complained right. that her attorney didn't right. file enough motions and that he allowed evidence in that he should have objected to. But again, in the appeal, there was no, spe uh, no specific motions identified that should have been filed or no identification of what evidence was not admissible that was admitted because the attorney didn't object to it. Um, they also looked at the evidence and found that her attorney did try to exclude the photos of the foot and the testimony of the pathologist, that he objected to the pathologist's opinion, and his objection was overruled. Uh, the record also refuted her claims <clears throat> related to the photographs and the testimony because he did object and he did try to keep them out. Um, then the other claims that she was making were not specific enough and were, were, were dismissed. The, um, the court also found that this, the state's evidence 
was all inextricably intertwined with the charged crimes or evidence of consciousness of guilt. So the, they found that, the trial, that her trial counsel could not be deficient for failing to object to admissible evidence. Um, and then the last several errors that she claimed, basically the appellate counsel didn't identify witnesses or alibis or specify testimony um, that should have been admitted but wasn't or should have been found that wasn't. So the, the court really couldn't determine whether she was prejudiced because they don't know what that testimony or evidence might have been. Um, so that will likely become an issue if there's a post-conviction appeal or post-conviction claim. Um, they also okay. found that the, okay. the record was not sufficient for them to resolve issues regarding failure to call expert witnesses to rebut the pathologist at trial um, or how her counsel's advice regarding her right to testify at trial was deficient. So those claims uh, couldn't be raised on direct appeal. And again, will probably be the topic of post-conviction appeal. Um, she also complained that her counsel used the wrong names and um, was not familiar with the case. However, a review of the record found that his use of the wrong names was infrequent and inadvertent and that the record did not suggest that the court or the issues were confused by his occasional reference to a wrong name. Um, right. Basically, right. That claim is refuted by the record which happens a lot in these appeals. But what you hear in the court of public opinion is the attorney didn't call any expert witnesses to refute. And the attorney called Farver by Goliar's name and Goliar by Farver's name. And he didn't even know the case. You know, you hear, you hear those issues, but you don't hear how the court resolves them. Because I see that with Rodney Reed all the time. So um, so that's the direct appeal. The, the conviction and sentences were affirmed. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Um, there was no writ filed at the U.S. Supreme Court, which frankly surprised me somewhat. Because this is such a uh, unique case. Uh, I would have expected the uh, PD's office to file a writ at U.S. Supreme Court, <clears throat> but one wasn't filed. The deadline to do it was 90 days after the uh, appellate court, Supreme Court in Nebraska, decided her case, which was in um, December, I believe, of 2018. So that deadline would have been about March. Right. Um, so right. her conviction and sentence are final. In the eyes of the law, she is not entitled to a presumption of innocence. The state does not have to prove her guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. If you were to look at the entire trial record yourself 
and to not believe that you would convict her or to have questions about her guilt, it doesn't matter because she's been convicted, she's been sentenced, her conviction and sentence were reviewed by the highest court in Nebraska, and they affirmed her conviction. So in the eyes of the law, she is guilty. If she wants to prove her innocence, she bears the burden of doing that. Right. And interestingly right. enough, she can bring in 20 expert witnesses, and they can all tear the pathologist and his testimony and the photographs. Uh, they can tear them to shreds. But the state doesn't have to call another pathologist in to bolster what they had at trial. All they have to do is turn those pathologist witnesses at a hearing into, into state witnesses under cross-examination and expose the flaws. For example, did you get a copy of the pictures? No. All I got was the testimony. And you can't tell from a picture whether a, whether a, you know, whether a, a limb is dead or not. <clears throat> and then show them the pictures. Does that look like live skin to you? Right. So, right. Um, which which happens, and I know it happens because I've worked for plaintiffs and defense attorneys, and I've been instructed not to send certain things to our expert witnesses for ver- a variety of reasons by a variety of attorneys on both sides. And my argument is always it's better that they have it and they know about it because the last thing you want is that shit coming out of the deposition. Right. And some attorneys right. some attorneys have listened and some attorneys have ignored me and then have been sitting at a deposition and been totally shocked at what happens <laughs> you know, because they ignored me. Hmm. And I learned okay. that from one of my practicing one of my practice and procedures uh, instructors at the uh, UNO paralegal program. She was a paralegal for a defense firm, and that was her, you know, her mantra: give your expert everything, good and bad. Because if he sees the bad and he knows it's there, he can address it. But if the bad comes to him and he's surprised, it's going to undermine him and it's going to undermine your case. So, true, true. Um, but yeah, okay, off my soapbox. So um, surprisingly enough, in around November, early November of last year, the former trial attorney for Fat Crap Crazy Liz got some emails. They were from someone calling themselves Vigilante. And those emails threatened 
Bat Crap Crazy Liz's Liz's children if Bat Crap Crazy Liz didn't reveal where Carrie Farber's body was located. Because Carrie Farber's family deserves to have a body to bury. Unfortunately, I believe that Bat Crap Crazy Liz through after dismembering the bodies after she couldn't burn them because I guess the woman didn't smoke because she didn't know how to set shit on fire. Um, <laughs> but um, she dismembered the bodies and in the, in the confession email she said she dismembered the body, put it in trash bags and put them in a dumpster or dumpsters. More likely than not, unfortunately, Carrie's body is probably in a landfill somewhere. And because it was disposed of in 2012 and the confession emails did not say anything until 2015 three years later, um, it would take true divine intervention to ever find anything of Carrie Farber under those circumstances. Now, it was interesting. I listened to the um, the uh, oral argument at the Nebraska Supreme Court for this case, and that poor little public defender, boy, she was trying really, really hard to put a spin on this. Like when she referred to the confession emails, she said, writing in the voice of Amy Flora. It's like, woman, did you look at the emails? They had the consistently the same misspellings, the same misuse of words, you know, the same, like, like misspelling Macedonia with an E instead of an A in two different profiles on Facebook that tried to friend Carrie Farber. Um, And they always, always referred to Liz as a whore. So um, the emails have been turned over to police. Now, Liz is in prison. But if the gun didn't go into a pond in that park in Council Bluffs, Liz may have somebody who's helping her. I looked and looked and looked on Google and never found anything on Liz's side. Hmm. I mean, I, I never found a single Liz Goliar is innocent. One interesting find I did have was a memorial page um, for Shanna Elizabeth Goliar with her birth date and a date of death in December of 2009. Huh. So I suspect in 2009, Liz was catfishing somebody or ghosting somebody and still working on her 
um, cyber stalker technique. True. True. And once again, it's a page I didn't print and I can't put up now because <laughs> my computer died. So, um, so that is, yeah, that's pretty much the end of that case. And we made it. Right. right. So what are you, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that, uh, this Goliard chick is, uh, absolutely insane. Uh, I don't think she's insane. I think it's more, it's more back, it's not insane, it's more back crap crazy. Right. It absolutely is. So, and you better be nice to Haley. I'm always nice to Haley. She's over here making noise here. Because <laughs> remember, there could be a Liz Goliar out there waiting for you. Yeah, she better not turn into some Liz Goliar. Oh my God. Everybody, if you're listening, uh, if there's random people, it was Haley. If I show up dead, it was Haley. I always tell her I'm a national treasure, so she can't do anything. <laughs> No, I don't think it's Haley. Haley's not, no, Haley's not that. But out there somewhere, if, you know, if you mess up with Haley, and face it, it's usually the man who messes up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, But, uh, you know, there could be out there waiting for you. So, you know, you got a good one. You better hold on to her. You're right. You're right. And thank your lucky stars every day. Hey, I mean, I'm just saying I'm a little worried by her interest in all these uh, snapped and deadly women and all this. I'm a little I'm a little worried about this. I think she may be playing this from <clears throat> Well, just make sure that you always put the toilet seat down. Um, let's see. What are some other things? Uh, don't ever ask her if it's that time of the month, no matter what she says or does. I, I think I'm pretty good. Put the toilet seat down. Shut up. The toilet seat down. <laughs> The toilet seat is not a murderable offense. It is. It is when you go in at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and your butt cheeks fall into that cold water. I think she may or may not have woke up one morning falling into the toilet. I almost almost became a widow (laughs) several times. Because that happened to me, and that was my first instinct. I'm going to kill him right now. No, trust me. Um, and he was, but he was, you know, he was one of those people that he was always so damn sorry for what he'd done that you couldn't stay mad uh-huh. at him. <laughs> if he'd given me one, one scintilla of attitude about it, 
if he'd said, look before you sit down next time, he would have been dead. Mm-hmm. But he was not as dumb as he acted sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. We made it after blog talk. Technical difficulties. It's still, giving me the, it's still giving me the error code, so we definitely don't need to well, go in overtime today. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I would appreciate it though if you could tomorrow check and make sure we recorded anything. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm going to be on here anyway for aftermath tomorrow night, so I will make sure okay. everything is uh, good. Plus, and I automatically get notification when it's uploaded to iTunes. Okay, perfect. Um, so, all right, let's before our luck runs out, let's. Put a bow on this one. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LN. Um, uh, as we know, I'm broadcasting from New Orleans, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana where Teddy Bridgewater led the Saints to a win against the Dallas Cowboys last Sunday and showed the naysayers that they'd underestimated his talent. Michael is broadcast podcasting from Little Rock, Arkansas, where convicted murderer Calvin Adams' second escape attempt ended when he was found hiding under a ventilation hood on the prison roof at the East Arkansas Regional Unit in Brickies, meaning... His ass didn't get out of prison, and that was the second time he tried. Um, next week, please join us on October 7th. That's Monday, because Michael has his Tuesday live show at 8 p.m. Central for episode 33, State of Oklahoma versus Richard Glossop. In part one, we'll talk about the case against Glossop, who was convicted in content- connection with the murder of hotel owner Barry Van Treese. We'll talk about the events preceding the murder, Glossop's motive for wanting Ventries dead, and his attempt to delay discovery of the murder and lies to police in addition to the eventual capture of the hitman, Justin Sneed. Ben will talk about Glossop's second murder trial, his direct appeal, and his initial state and federal post-conviction claims. In part two, we'll talk about the uh, lead-up to his Attempted execution in 2015, and the status of the case since then. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.